This is Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. The show spotlights and features promising health and wellness innovation in pursuit of a sustainable and equitable healthcare delivery and financing system. Hosted by digital health advocate, author, and thought leader, Gil Bash, the show looks at the thought-provoking ideas, people, and companies that are making a difference. I'm Greg Masters, the executive producer and co-host of the show, and join Gil as we engage industry talent who share their insights and best practices to enable sustainable ecosystem change. On today's show, our guest is Dr. Irfan Khan, founder and CEO of Circuit Clinical, a company he founded to make it, quote, easier for people to find, understand, and choose clinical research as a care option for themselves and their loved ones, end quote. Dr. Khan is a cardiologist who has served as a principal investigator on both therapeutic and device clinical trials for more than a decade and is passionate about improving access and equity in clinical trials, community engagement, and patient education and empowerment. And with that very brief introduction, Gil, over to you. Greg, I want to thank you so much for that gracious introduction. I'm excited, too, about our guest today, Dr. Irfan Khan, who is the founder and CEO of Circuit Clinical. And he's a cardiologist, an electrophysiologist. He's been a principal investigator in countless clinical trials, device clinical trials. He's been doing this for well more than a decade. And he has really covered North America in his work. He is uh, initially trained in, um, in Canada, spent some time, I think, at Case Western Reserve, if I'm not mistaken, right? And then, and then uh, started uh, a, a, an amazing enterprise. I really want to explore what you're doing, Irfan, because, you know, you know here's a case of a, of a well, well-regarded cardiologist um, electrophysiologist, you're working with patients, you're a leader of a clinical system, and then you, you see a problem and you realize you're, n- you're not going to sit by and resolve it from the inside. You're going to k- go out and create an enterprise from scratch. So just an unusual kickoff for us. Look, right now you're dealing with 2.5 million people with health concerns. You've brought them into the clinical trial process. You've mobilized, I think, some 30-plus physician partner sites in order to embrace, engage these people, and begin to address their current and future health priorities. What happened when you were a cardiologist and you said, you know what? I love medicine. I love helping people one at a time. Maybe, maybe through my experiences, I could help millions. What was the tipping point? Yeah, and first of all, Gil, thanks for the uh, the opportunity to be here and to share a few stories and some ideas. Uh, it's it's a real pleasure. Um, you know, as I think about that moment of what is that that tipping point, and I I talk to a lot of physician founders these days who are thinking about getting going or who've just started. Uh, it's always something that just sort of resonates in their head when they look back. And I think for me, it was my dad getting Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Um, I'm very fortunate and, and privileged to be healthcare literate and and to have a lot of access to care and a lot of access to 
um, friends around the country who, who work actively in that disease space. And even then, finding a trial for him um, in that window where it would have done some good uh, was impossible. We just couldn't seem to make things work. Um, and there's so much on the patient side in terms of uh, both uh, for the caregivers, my mom in this case, my dad, trying to choose this while while starting a difficult path. And and that never left me, the idea that, that uh, if somebody like me is with as many advantages in medicine as I have, um, wasn't able to really evaluate the options and and get to a place where I felt comfortable advocating uh, for somebody I love. Um, what hope do the rest of us have? Um, that's after you know ten years of postgraduate training and and a career in medicine. So that really has never left me. The I was lucky enough to train with some great uh, academics at uh, at Case Western, and uh, the focus there was really delivering opportunities uh, into the city, into the into the community centers where people get their care. And I think it was that combination of knowing that there is uh, another set of opportunities for creating access points and then experiencing it myself firsthand. You know, it's so important what you share. I hear again and again that it's the the personal experience that changes people's lives. Throughout the country, I've, I've been privileged to meet and we've been fortunate to have on this program a physician leaders like yourself whose lives have been changed um, really through the more intimate experience with the medical system. And you've touched on something that I think is really important. Here you are, a, a world-class cardiologist. You were um, really part of the, the house staff of top-notch medical systems. You decide to do something a little different than what you're trained for. You decide to start a business. And it's rested upon the fact that you see up close and personal the um, the inefficiencies of a system to sort of proactively engage people who have really life-threatening, pressing health concerns like your father had. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit, your, your business model is unique. What, what uh, Circuit Clinical is doing is really getting to the underbelly of, of um, probably some of the people of the most serious needs people who are living in rural areas, people who are living in diverse areas, you're dealing with diverse communities, you're opening up clinical trial possibilities to people who aren't necessarily close by a major academic teaching center. And I wanted to ask you, why open the door to, well, 28% of America, I think lives in rural America. I think you're headquartered, if I'm not mistaken, in Buffalo, New York. We are, which is a major city in in New York State, by the way. People may not understand that, but That's Buffalo right. is a real city. It actually has a pro football team. I understand oh, a very um, good one, <laughs> a very good one. So you say, so you say. But um, um, I wanted to explore a little bit about the fact that you created a very unique business model. You know, the the big, big, big CROs are, um, for the most part, not always, sort of like rooted to a traditional model. You've created the, the model that is, I'll call it the real world model for the nation, which is not everybody lives next to Mount Sinai or, or Tufts or Harvard, That's or, right. Um, right? Some people live in, guess what? Rural communities, villages. You created um, a business enterprise to address their needs. What were some of the challenges you faced in making that happen? Yeah, and I, I, I think that uh, the list is fairly long. And I think that um, when I look at out across the space and I think about, hey, what have we experienced as we've tried to create some new access points? You know, I, I'm quick to point out that, um, that we have a system that works. It works slowly. 
and and it takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of time, um, but it is the most um, impressive engine for uh, drug discovery, for the development of new medicines that the world has ever seen. So the system, interestingly, works. And I, and I come at it from a, a situation of, of great empathy for all of the efforts that have been made to date. And I think if we look at what uh, what pharmaceutical companies do when they bring molecules through the pipeline, when you look at what the CROs do as they try to operationalize across these areas and, and provide the broader support services, I always view our work as kind of one level down from there, but one level up from where, where the traditional infrastructure of research happens. So I, I, I like to sort of compare it to our work is a little bit like putting up 5G towers. Um, nobody is suggesting that to improve communication, you had to pull the landlines out of the wall and uh, and cut down all the telephone poles. We, we need those, you know, uh, we need Harvard, we need Stanford. Um, they play a critical role in, in new ideas and in getting um, the, uh, the, the enterprise of creating a new medicine off the ground. But what's happened is over 50 years of using the same academic medical centers and then these spin-off uh, brick and mortar private research organizations, which do a great job. They do a great job of professionalizing a um, an access window for uh, healthy volunteers. But what they can't do is because they're not healthcare systems, they can't access and provide access, more importantly, to a broad distribution of patients. So using that, those two points, the academic medical centers and the um, and these private research sites, we've ended up with very limited on-ramps. And so the challenge we faced at the beginning was, how would we actually go about creating new on-ramps? And, and the opportunity is obviously where people get their care. Um, it's, a, it's an important conversation. It needs to be have, had with people you trust already um, and uh, to, to be able to bridge the gap between what we already think we know about clinical trials and clinical research and what is the actual reality of choosing research as an option. So the, the first challenge was really, could we at the same time get two of the most conservative, usefully conservative, as I like to say, industries in the country, healthcare and, um, and, and uh, drug development, interested in something new? And that's taken a lot of time. I'm quick to point out we're not the only ones who, who work in this space in terms of moving research into healthcare. I think that's great. I think we, we could probably use 10 more circuits out there trying to, to solve problems in this way. But our special sauce, I think, is to really seize the opportunity of bringing more doctors and, and patients who traditionally don't get that opportunity. And that, that challenge is really on two sides. It's talking to these very busy physicians who are just coming out of the pandemic, talking to those healthcare administrators about why research, why choose this for your patients as an option, uh, as part of your value package. And then at the same time, addressing legitimate concerns that uh, that sponsors would have, pharmaceutical companies would have about trying a place that they had never used before in a clinical trial. Could they be successful? So it's about teaching them about the circuit ecosystem there. So it's really sort of, you know, two sets of challenges at the same time. Um, set, set, you know, six and a half years later, it feels a lot easier, but uh, but the scale has gone up. So it's got its own challenges as well. You know, thinking about that, there's something else that you did that I haven't heard of before which is, uh, I don't want to say that you you created a system to democratize participation, but I'm, I'm thinking a little bit about what I've learned about trial journey. And um, I find that to be very unique because I often find that people in the clinical trial process, um, you know, we use that impersonal word patience. You know, we're always people. But I think the, if I understand correctly, trial journey is the first ever rating system for people participating in the process to offer their perspective about 
how that care option is going. And I'm wondering if you could reflect on that a little bit for us, because, you know, historically, um, well, historically, medicine did not want to hear from people, did not want to hear from patients what they thought of the system. Then suddenly, um, patient perspective became more and more important. You know, suddenly doctors are, are, are ranked and rated. They become very concerned about their ratings. Um, but that necess necessarily hasn't spilled over or extended into the clinical trial process. You know, it's, that's a kind of a new framework. So I, I would really appreciate hearing a little bit about trial journey and, and also why you felt it was important and any insights you have so far from people who are participating and sharing their points of view. So the uh, the start of trial journey was um, rooted in this idea that uh, that really has its origin story with uh, with health grades, uh, the Denver based um, you know patients ratings and reviews engine for for healthcare. And uh, I was lucky enough in the early days, uh, everything in life is relational and, and, and having the good fortune of meeting interesting people, uh, of meeting Carrie Hicks and Dave Hicks. Uh, Carrie was the founder and CEO of HealthGrades. Dave was his, his brother, is, uh, was uh, the founding CIO. And they took this company uh, to be one of the most important brands in healthcare, really built around transparency and trust uh, by giving a voice to patients. And, and I was lucky enough to see that firsthand. I, I trained in the era before health grades. So I did pretty much all of my training uh, before health grades became a ubiquitous element of it. But I practiced in the health grades era where a patient could walk out of a room and get online and share with other patients what it's like to experience care with this particular doctor. And I watched it transform uh, clinical care as, as uh, you know, Darwin, I think famously said, science advances from funeral to funeral. So there was a generation of doctors who didn't do well with this kind of breaking down of the uh, of these silos, but our generation looked at it and thought, this is important, this is really valuable and, um, and it means something. And so as a result of that, um, we took that same idea and said, that's what clinical trials also needs. If a patient is looking online for a clinical trial, they don't need a list of medical jargon. What they really need is, is an answer to an easy question, which is, what do I do next? Who do I go talk to that can help me with this? Um, and then what health systems want to be able to do is say, hey, we provide research and we want to tell you about that story. So it is interesting. We are both, we, we have two sides to the coin at Circuit. We have this clinical side and then we have this digital side. And the, the digital side of trial journey is really based at elevating patient voice. Um, uh, the line I use a lot is that we talk about patients like we're not all going to be one, right? Like we, we are in this same game and whatever we build for them is, is important here. So it's really along the lines of, can we create democracy? Can we level the playing field so that we're all understanding that, that the, the patient is bringing something to the enterprise of creating a new medicine, something vital, something central, as well as the, uh, the sponsors and the health systems are bringing something incredible. It's the engine of American uh, drug discovery. And so that's really the goal behind all of it. It's, it's to make it easier for a health system to get in the game of being part of the, uh, the development of new medicines. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. Our guest is Dr. Irfan Khan, founder and CEO of Circuit Clinical, a company he founded to make it easier for people to find, understand, and choose clinical research as a care option for themselves and their loved ones. You know, I think that whenever we open the door to conversation and what's your point of view, we're creating... Um, we're creating stronger relationship or trusting relationship through transparency. And historically, I think, uh, you know, people got involved in clinical trials 
because they're incentivized by having better care or better oversight of their care, or they were in a very difficult situation, you know, um, you know cancer trial or, or serious, you know, serious heart disease. And, and so they felt that a clinical trial was really their, their best option for the next stage of their, of their health journey. So you know, we worked it that way, but I, I'm, just, I'm just also wondering in the whole COVID era, have we become as a society, not everyone, but many more, just more sensitive to the importance of uh, drug development and our own, well, our own health journey that we're, we're starting to recognize that you know, perhaps participating in the drug development process is to our best interests. I think of what I understand, a very small percentage of people historically participated in drug development as a subject, a, a patient, a person in the trial. Many more volunteered, certainly stepped forward during COVID. They felt it was almost their societal duty. Um, curious, curious, any spillover effect do you see of people saying, you know what, um, I, I want to speak to my my relative about participating in an Alzheimer's drug development study. I, I want to speak to um, my spouse about um, taking a look at a new therapy for arrhythmia. Um, wh what do you see at the forefront of the action? I see at the, at the very forefront, what I see is we now have a metaphor. Um, we now have a way to explain research participation that resonates, which I think we were lacking before. And, and it's important to remember that metaphors cut both ways. We do have metaphors for, for research and what that experience can be like, and they're horrific, right? Uh, if you're, in the, uh, you're a member of the Black community, um, you know, Tuskegee is a pretty powerful metaphor. Henrietta Lacks' disenfranchisement, very powerful metaphor. Um, and so we finally have a positive metaphor that, that 90,000 Americans, you know, stepped up and, and, and participated as volunteers. And we absolutely saw the impact of what, uh, what uh, that can do at scale. It can bring a medicine to market, a vaccine to market with, uh, with a critical need and, and, and lightning speed uh, timing. Uh, our, uh, our head of clinical operations, Don Fury, was actually um, a leader on the J&J &J team uh, for Operation Warp Speed. So we, we've seen this work up close and personal. And what's been most heartening about it is, yes, that that clinical research, um, when it's um, when surveys are done, is, is testing better as an idea with patients. But far more importantly, is the conversation that happens in the room between a between a doctor or a nurse trying to explain the research opportunity to a patient to, to consider. And now there's this metaphor to talk about, well, this is a little bit like how the COVID vaccines were developed. They were developed because people realized that they weren't being guinea pigs, that a lot of safety testing had been done. And that instead the question was, does this work? Does this help? And could this be useful? And I think that's a much needed thing we were missing in that storytelling and, and helping people bridge the gap between why would I choose why would I choose a clinical trial? There's some excellent reasons for that. It's not right for everybody. It's not right in every situation. But there are really great reasons to say yes to research that people weren't able to emotionally get to because they didn't have a way to connect their own experience to it. I think the the work uh, the tremendous work done through the um, uh, through the, uh, the the Pfizer Moderna J and J vaccines has really gone a, a long way to get us there. AZ as well, yeah. Yeah. So along those lines, I know that one of your business objectives has been to advance health equity. And that's really one of the uh, key foundational points of, of Circuit Clinical. It's, it's opening up more doors to more possibilities to more people. 
But along the lines, you, you've talked about the BIPOC population a few times in our conversation just now. And historically, of course, people of color have just not been invited to clinical trials. And I say that because when I, I speak to the leaders of the community, they often say to me, you know, we walk into the doors of a testing center and the people we see like us are cleaning the floors, are taking out the trash, are, are, are checking your name at the um, reception desk. We, we don't see doctors like us. We don't see health professionals, nursing staff like us. And I really would appreciate your perspective on this because you're very passionate in your writings and your other talks about equity in clinical trials. Would you mind just talking a little bit about what you see and why it's so important for uh, companies like Circuit Clinical to say, you know, something, this is a, this is a major public health priority. We, we've got to elevate this. We've got to elevate awareness of this, of this challenge. It is the issue of this of this era in healthcare in healthcare transformation. Um, so I, I begin with one caveat: uh, I am I am not a diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion uh, expert. I've not been trained formally in it. Uh, I am you know I don't I don't have a background in health equity. So I'm very clear to point out that that I personally I don't speak for the Black community or the or the Latinx community in particular who have had really. Um, you know, atrocious experience in accessing clinical research over the last 50 years. I am, I am what I, I think is a, is fair to say is a very motivated ally because I think the work we do is conceptually a positive sum game. So bringing more people to clinical trials and bringing a more diverse group of peoples is fundamentally a good thing. Are there strong business and scientific reasons for it? Sure, we could always go through those in detail. But fundamentally, I think everybody hears this and understands it's a very American way to think of the problem is that, that access should be broadly distributed regardless of who you are or what zip code you live in. You know, it's uh, right now 250 zip codes uh, are doing almost all the research in the country. So if you don't live in those zip codes, the likelihood that you have any access to clinical trials and clinical research as a care option is approaching zero. So uh, we look at the problem at Circuit and really start from the inside. Can we build a team that reflects those values, that 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 uh, representation should be present in research? Uh, and I think the uh, that's taken that's taken some soul searching and it's taken some experimenting. We've made some mistakes and then we've we've built the kind of company we feel now that that really does understand what role we play. Uh, and then I think more broadly, it's about where do we choose to deliver our solutions and, and can we be thoughtful about that? And can we bring those into health systems that serve uh, racially, ethnically, uh, and socioeconomically diverse communities? Uh, and can we play our role in being a, um, an, uh, uh, an aid to education, uh, a creator of opportunities for um, referral, if that's what, what the, the physicians and patients want? But most importantly, could we help them actually participate as a research site in that process? And not for one trial and then we're taking something out of the community and leaving, but really, could we help that health system, that physician group that serves a, a uh, racially diverse, ethnically diverse community, create a research program that spanned years where everybody's working as partners, creating value for the community, creating value for those patients, and I think also importantly, creating value for the doctors. You know, it's really going to take bringing more doctors into the process of research. Uh, I, I like to point out that we have two problems at the same time. 
the current set of doctors who serve as investigators and research are about to retire. They're also a very homogenous group. They're, they're mostly male, they're mostly white, they're in their 60s, and they're already thinking about what will they do in retirement. Um, and they've been the engine of American drug development. So, you know, they've certainly done some amazing things. And at the same time, we have the greatest single exodus of physicians from medicine who are between the ages of 35 to 50. We've never seen anything like this. And, and I say this with the, the humble understanding that I'm part of the problem, you know, having, having uh, left, left medicine to, to work on circuit. Uh, but with those two things happening at the same time, maybe we can look at that as an opportunity to say, who would we bring to the table uh, to be investigators in research if we were starting from scratch in a way? And I think the answer we would all agree is we should try to make it a representative group of, of doctors. We should try to, to bring more Black physicians into the process. Um, we should try to bring more, more Hispanic and Latinx uh, physicians into the process. We should be able, we should be aiming at a population of, uh, of investigators who are 50% female. Um, so that's the opportunity in front of us. It's, it's uh, easier said than done, but I think that's what the work has to look like. And figuring out what they need to be successful and supporting them is, is something we find pretty interesting and enjoyable. It's not easy, but it's, it's good work. Yeah, you know, the, the reality is that um, Circuit Clinical exists because the system is not meeting everyone's needs. And it's not a small challenge. It's a big challenge. It's not a small need. It's a big need. And, and therefore, it takes someone who is familiar with the culture of medicine. And as uh, we've often expressed on this program, unfortunately, culture crushes innovation. And, and medicine, medicine is, it's not resistant to change, because it's based on science, which changes everything. But it's sometimes hesitant to change. And, and therefore, it needs intermediaries like yourself, like Circuit Clinical, to jump in and just say, you know, while you're doing this, we're going to jump in and fill this void. And it sounds like you're doing that very effectively. This is such such a pressing need. You know, we're really talking about, to some extent, um, recognizing our diversity and recognizing the need for inclusion in order to be better healers. And, um, you know, in our closing time, where do you think Circuit Clinical is going in the next um, year? What, what, what can we expect from you and the enterprise? Well, we were very fortunate to, uh, to, to this year, begin this year with both uh, uh, the right kind of uh, funding to let us think about high growth and the right kind of partnerships. You know, we're very fortunate to be partnered with both LabCorp and Metadata, two terrific companies. We just announced a, a game changer uh, with uh, with a partnership with NextGen Healthcare. Three great enterprises. Uh, you know, it's like the um, A-plus enterprise partners. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, you know, we, we like to joke, we're just happy to be judged by the company we keep. And so I think that that this year ahead is about national expansion to providing as much access and not, not just simply to, oh, could we find another health system or another physician group? More broadly, how do we make doctors all over the country and patients all over the country who are thinking about this give them an easy way to put their hand up and say, hey, I'd like to learn more. Hey, I'd like to see if I could participate or bring this to my practice or to my health system. And so one of our focuses is on how do we help physicians choose research? Uh, because we believe in doing that, and in, in particular, in, in creating a more representational group of investigators, we will have a real chance to help more patients access research too. So that's the work of the next year and, and beyond, I'm willing to bet. I, I'm, I'm hoping, uh, first of all, I'm confident you're going to do it. And I want to thank you so much for joining Greg and me today, a fantastic guest with a vital mission. Dr. Khan, thank you so much for being on the program. 
Such a pleasure, Gil. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. And that's a wrap for today's broadcast. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in and our guest, Dr. Irfan Khan, founder and CEO of Circuit Clinical. For more information or to follow Dr. Khan's work at Circuit Clinical, go to www.circuitclinical.com and follow on Twitter via at I-K-H-A-N-E-P and at Circuit Clinical. You can learn more about Health Unabashed on the program page at healthcarenowradio.com. We air weekdays at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., and 2.30 a.m. Eastern or 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m., and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Do keep the conversation going with Gil and me on Twitter by connecting with us via at Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E, and Greg Masters M-P-H, and that's Greg with two G's, and do remember to tag your tweets with hashtag health unabashed. Until next time, stay unapologetically passionate about improving health.